The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it is great to be with you. Uh, it is good to be with you as we gather and we uh, worship our God, and uh, this is the third week in the season of Advent, so that season where uh, historically we have looked back on the coming of our Lord Jesus, and we take this time to look back on his coming because we believe that Jesus wasn't just some other man, he wasn't just an ordinary man, but that Jesus is the very center of our lives. And not just the center of our lives, not just the foundation of the church, but that Jesus is the center of the entire universe. And that when the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together, took on flesh and came to dwell among us, well, that's something that we should consider. It's something that we should think about. It's something that we should take time and marvel at, that Jesus came and he dwelt among us. And so that's what we did a couple weeks ago, right? When we looked in Galatians, where we heard that Jesus was born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. We are looking back with gratitude that he came and he became like us, to live unlike us, to save us. But now for last week and today and next week, we're looking forward with anticipation to his second advent. Right? Last week we began looking forward by looking at a, a passage out of Matthew where Jesus told us the timing of his coming, right? And you remember when he's coming? We don't know when, <laughs> right? We don't know when. The point wasn't when are you coming. The point was for Jesus to tell us that we are to prepare as we wait. And as we prepare, as we wait, we still look forward. We still look forward with anticipation at his second coming. Because this morning, what we're going to see is that he will come, and we see that there is a hope that his coming brings. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's where we're going to be looking this morning, 1 Thessalonians 4. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and if you came uh, here this morning and you don't own a Bible, take that one. That's yours. We would love for you to have it. Um, or you can follow along on the screens as we project the passage. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes this, beginning in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that as we come to this portion of it now, that you would fill us with hope. 
Hope that uh, this world is not the end. Hope that death has been defeated. Hope that you, Lord Jesus, are coming again. And so, Father, turn our eyes in anticipation to that day when Jesus will return. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, if you've grown up in the church or been around the church for any length of time, or or maybe you're new to the church, maybe this is the first time you've been to church in some time, but you've been to a funeral, then, then you're familiar with the song, It Is Well With My Soul. You have certainly sung it, whether it's in a church service or, or at a funeral. You have probably heard those words sung. You've probably sung them your, yourself, right? And, and rightfully so. It's often a song that we turn to because the words of that song are powerful to us in those times of grief, of sadness, of mourning, Right? And so you've sung those songs, and, and probably many of you know the history behind that song. And, and if you don't, well, it was written by a man named Horatio Spafford, who was a Chicago lawyer. And Spafford experienced a great deal of grief and pain and sadness in his life. In 1870, his only son died of scarlet fever. And a year later, he lost all of his real estate investments in the great Chicago fire pain in his life. It continued beyond just these two years, these two moments. You see, after losing his investments, after losing his son, Spafford decided that he and the remainder of his family, his wife and four daughters, would would sail to England and have time away from their pain to rest from their grief. But at the last moment, Spafford couldn't couldn't board the ship, excuse me, not the plane, the ship. He couldn't board the ship because he was detained with some business matters. And so he told his wife and four daughters, I will see you soon. I'll meet you just in a few weeks. But if you know the story, you know that that never took place. That Spafford was never to see his daughters again because en route to uh, England, their ship was struck by another ship. And within minutes, their cruise liner sunk to the bottom of the ocean. All four of his daughters drowned, his wife survived, and sent him a telegraph from Wales that simply said, saved alone. Well, Spafford, full of grief and sadness, now needing to go meet his wife, needing to go be with her in her grief and sadness, he set sail on the next ship out, to meet her, to to be with her. And as he's sailing across the ocean, at, at one point, the captain of the ship calls him to the bridge and says, this is the very place where your daughter's ship went down. And he went down into his cabin and he wrote the lyrics of what would eventually become, it is well with my soul. He wrote, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Okay, think about that. The, this man afflicted with such grief and sadness and pain and sorrow, and yet he writes, it is well with my soul. How could he write those words in that moment at that time? How could he write those words? Well, it's because he had hope. He had hope beyond just the moment. He had hope beyond just that experience. He had hope that was greater than even his grief. 
right? Hope for the Christian is a hope that death is not the end. That there is hope beyond this world. That there is a hope that Jesus will return. And that's what this passage is giving us. It's giving us hope. Hope that that death will not have the final say over our lives or those who are in Christ who have gone before us. Paul is writing to this church and they're asking questions about death and about those who have died and what comes of them. We see that in verse 13 where Paul is interacting with their question. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. Asleep just is another way of saying dead, they've died. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You see, what Paul is doing is he is pointing to a hope not of this world. There's a French philosopher, he's an atheist named Luc Ferry. Luc Ferry once wrote that the point of philosophy is to determine how to live in light of our impending death. You see, if if you're like Fairy, who, who doesn't believe in God, who, who has no hope beyond the grave, then all you can do is think, how should I live until the inevitability of death comes? There is no hope. If you're only concerned about today, how we live now, there is no hope beyond the grave. But, but what Paul is saying is there is hope. That for those who are trusting in Christ, in his death and resurrection, there is hope. Hope because Christ is coming. We see it at the center of our passage in verse 16. After Paul says, we don't want you to grieve as those who don't have hope. In other words, we want you to have hope. Where is our hope? Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. You see, Paul is giving us hope that is founded on the coming of our Lord Jesus. And as he comes, how does he come? With the sound of a trumpet, the voice of an archangel, with the cry of command. And so the image that Paul is giving us is that when Jesus returns, we're not going to wonder if, he, if that's him. Like, we're not going to hear rumors like, hey, he's hanging out in the southeast, or he's on, you know, some island in the Pacific, you know, we're getting rumors. No, 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 we're all going to know he's come. A trumpet, a, a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, right? The trumpet of God. It will sound forth because it's signaling the arrival of someone who is amazing, the voice of an archangel, maybe it'll be like a barbaric yop, right? I don't know what an archangel sounds like. And a cry of command. We don't know what he will say when he comes. We don't know what words, but, but when I use my sanctified imagination, I imagine what he will command, what he will cry is arise. Now the passage doesn't tell us and so it's simply speculation. But look what happens when Jesus does come with this command. In verse 16 and 17, the Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So when Jesus comes, the dead will rise. Jesus tells us in John chapter 5, an hour is coming 
when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And he goes on to say, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And so maybe his cry of command won't be arise. Maybe it will be come out. Maybe it will be up or awake. But what we do know is that the dead will hear his voice and rise. Now at this point, it would be good for us to clarify about this sleep that is taking place, right? That the language, because maybe some of you have heard before that that the dead in Christ, they enter into this sort of like soul sleep where where the, the, the body as well as the soul is kind of in this, well, slumber, slumber. And, and it's not until Jesus returns that, that the soul and the body are actually awakened, right? Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you haven't, and I just introduced some kind of like controversy in your mind, and you didn't need to go there, but I'm, I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but there are people who have wondered that and thought that, but, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. When Paul talks about them being asleep and, and being awoken and rising, he's not talking about like our spirits are somehow separated from God at death. Okay, we know that actually in death, though our bodies are in the grave, our spirits go to be with the Lord. And we know this because a passage like when Jesus talks to the thief on the cross and says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Your body will be in the ground, but today you will be with me in paradise. And so this awakening that's taking place, this awakening that's taking place is the awakening of our bodies and that they are actually united together with our spirits in the coming of Jesus. They are reunited together. That the dead, the, the bodies of the dead, that they are risen, they made alive with resurrected bodies. That's what Paul is describing here that they will rise and meet Jesus. And so too will those who, who are still alive when Jesus returns. They won't be rising from the dead, but they'll rise and meet Jesus in the air. That's what verse 17 says. We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Okay, so after last week's sermon, last week's sermon when uh, we we're looking at Matthew and, and Jesus taught us, and, and I shared how Jesus taught us, that, that when he comes, that, that those under judgment will be swept away and those who are under grace will remain. If you were here last week, maybe you remember this. So some of you, after that sermon, came up and were like, okay, this sounds great. I see where you see it in the passage, but how does this jive with 1 Thessalonians 4? Like, literally, I had people say that. Um, and it was great. So I could say, just hold your question. We'll get to it in a week. You know, no, I didn't do that. We talked. We had a good conversation. And it was great. It was wonderful. Um, I loved it. I loved it. I actually had multiple, of many of you coming and, and asking me that very question. And, and let me just say as an aside, like, um, please ask those questions. Like, we love that. Tobias, Andrew, myself, like, we love, these are fun conversations to have. So, um, so after this week, when you have more questions, you know, come on, uh, we're ready. But, um, but the question still remains. So how does that idea that we will remain, that we want to be left behind, how does that jive with 1 Thessalonians 4? Because it seems like Paul's saying, we're going to go away, right? We're met, we meet Jesus in the air. And so the assumption is we meet him in the air and Jesus is then going to take us to some other place, heaven, 
the new heavens and the new earth, but somewhere other, right? That's the assumption. And the assumption, that assumption, is where we go awry. Because that assumption's faulty. You see, the passage doesn't say Jesus will come, we'll meet him in the air, and then he'll take us away. It actually doesn't say where we'll go, does it? It says we will meet him in the air and we will always be with the Lord. And so we have to try and discern where we will go. And we discern it from what we read in the passage because Paul is using an image that would have been familiar to his original audience, but maybe isn't so familiar to us. You see, the language there to meet, you see it, will go out and meet him in the air. That language to meet was a word that was used to describe the public welcome of a dignitary or a triumphant king. So this is the image that it gives us. You see, the city, as they were waiting for a dignitary, a foreign dignitary to come, or a triumphant king to return from war, the people of the city would be looking for them. And as they saw him approaching, they would actually leave the city, they would go out, and they would meet him, and then come back into the city. It's actually the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 25 in the parable of the bridegroom and the virgins, where the bridegroom arrives and the virgins come out, they meet the bridegroom, and then they go with him to the feast. So it's kind of like this. Maybe this doesn't happen in your family, but this happens all the time in mine. When we have friends coming through town, especially friends that we haven't seen in some time, and they're staying with us for the night, they might stay with us for a few days, right? We're, we're getting ready for their arrival, and, and inevitably we hear the car pull up, and the door open and close, and, and one of our kids will yell out, they're here, right? And what do we do when we hear that they're here? Well, you know, we stop watching TV, we stop preparing the, the meal, right? We put everything on pause, we go to the door, we open it, and we walk out, and we oftentimes greet them right in the driveway, right? Friends that we have been waiting for. We give them a hug, we're so glad that you're here, let us help you with your luggage, and then we don't put it back in their car and send them on their way, right? Or we don't get in and go, we're so glad we're, you're here. Now let's go, you know, let's go drive somewhere. No, we, we greet them and then we take them inside. We welcome them. And we eat and we drink and we catch up. That's the image of this. As we rise and meet Jesus in the air, we will return with him to the earth. Because in his returning, he is establishing the new heavens and the new earth. And that is here. It's not somewhere else. It is here. We're going to get to that next week, so put a pin in that, okay? So if you're going, well, how does this jive with Revelation 21? Just wait a week. <laughs> but that's what the picture is. That we have this triumphant king coming and his people are meeting him. And I say a triumphant king because of the imagery Paul uses. Clouds and air. The cloud descending in, Old in the Old Testament was often an image of God's presence coming upon his people. Or the air in the New Testament is sometimes used to describe the abode of Satan and his demons. So, for instance, in Ephesians 2, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. And so what we see is that Jesus, this one who triumphed over death and hell and the grave, he chooses to meet his people in his enemy's own backyard, in the air. And in doing this, he is showing that he has mastery over them. 
That the celebration of Jesus' coming is in the very place where his enemy dwells. Because he is the triumphant king. That is how he is coming to his people. And it's that coming, friends, that gives us hope. Hope for those who have died before us. Hope for those who are living. Hope because Jesus will come. And because we have hope, we're to encourage one another. That's how our passage ends. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So how do we encourage one another? Well, let me say what this doesn't mean. Okay, let me say what this doesn't mean. Remember the context is grief and mourning, sadness and sorrow over death. And even if you haven't experienced death yourself with a loved one, a a close relative, you've known grief and sadness and loss. And we even have to acknowledge that in this season, right, this season of of, of beautiful flowers, of, of beautiful music, of, of light, of joy. Even in this sadness, we're, or in this season, we are met in this season with sadness, right? It often comes with the reminder of loss and what was and what has been. In fact, a psychology professor in the UK, a man named Roger Bretherton, he wrote this. He said, Christmas is a time for ghosts, It might be the empty chair at the table. It may be the memory of happier times. It could be a year of losses and regrets, but there is a darkness to Christmas that the fairy lights and tinsel can't quite conceal. There's a shadow under the Christmas tree that we'd rather not acknowledge. That probably resonates with some of y'all because it's during this season that we're reminded of all that we have lost. Right, the spouse that's no longer with us. The the relationship that though they have not physically died, the relationship has died. Right? The the tension, the the burdens that we feel. I mean, don't we feel them even stronger in this season? And so when Paul says, encourage us in the light of Jesus' returning, what he's not saying, friends is that we have no need for grief. He's not saying that there's no place for mourning. No, he actually expects it. He expects that we would grieve, right? He's not saying encourage one another in the coming of the Lord Jesus in the light of his return, that, that that means that we are to be stoics who never mourn, that we are those who sing songs to saddened hearts. No, that's not what he's saying, right? What did he say? He said, I want you to grieve not like those who have no hope. The implication is is that we will grieve, that we will mourn, that we will face sorrow, but, but we would do it with hope. That we would do it with hope. And so to encourage one another, it means that we would be a people who allow other people to mourn. That we would be a people who sit with our friends in their grief that we would weep with those who weep over loss, that we would weep and mourn and grieve with hope. Hope that sadness and grief and mourning and death, as painful and as powerful as those things are, that they do not have the final word over our lives. 
You see, friends, the grave couldn't contain Jesus, right? He rose victoriously from it. And the grave will not contain us either. It won't contain us, not because we are powerful, not because we are strong, but the grave will not be able to contain us because Christ's command is so powerful that it will awaken us from death and we too will rise with him. And in our rising, we will meet Christ in the air and be with him and with one another forever. That is what we encourage one another with. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Do you hear that? Those who have died before us and those who will come after and all those who are in Christ will be caught up together. And we, not just me, not just you, but we together, those in Christ will be with him. That at Christ's coming, his people will be together forever. And that is what we encourage one another with. We encourage one another with the fact that grief and sadness, mourning and separation, sorrow and death are not the end of the story, but there is hope. Hope that Paul describes in, for the reason that he describes of it in Romans chapter 8 when he says, Neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Y'all, that is our hope. That though our bodies and souls may be separated at death, that they will be reunited together at his coming, and we will be united with him. And reunited with one another. And at his coming, we together will dwell with him forever. That is what we encourage one another with. These words of hope that Christ has come, that Christ is risen, that Christ is coming again. That is our hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we thank you for the sure hope that you, Lord Jesus, are returning. And that in your returning, you will make all things new. And so we long for that day and we cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come and make all things new. Come and raise us from the dead. Come and unite us together in Christ so that we would dwell with you. And until that day, we ask that you would help us to have hope, to look forward with anticipation, to encourage one another so that we would look to you in hope. And we pray all this in Christ's name and God's people said together, amen.